Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, uh, just before you pray, you can go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 9 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 9, and we'll get that there in just a second. Heavenly Father, thank you for everybody uh, that uh, came here this morning. Help us to celebrate, help us to worship together, help us to realize the power that we have every day to just be your hands, to be your feet, to look out to those that need you. And Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son who gave us the perfect example of what it is to be a servant. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you're new with us this morning, uh, we started last week a series that's going to run all through the summer, and it's just simply called Love Thy Neighbor. And we're taking kind of snapshots of what I would call unsung heroes. These are New Testament uh, men and women you don't hear a lot about, but yet I believe, and uh, as we're preparing these messages, that these are individuals that give us examples of what it is to be a good neighbor. And again, we shared this last week also, is that uh, if they, the Pharisees tried to pin Jesus down. They said, of all the commandments, can you narrow it down? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God, what? With all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So that is not a suggestion, to love your neighbor. And we're going to get deeper into what that means. Now, I don't know if uh, some of you have had these discussions with your kids before they were born, uh, but Marie and I used to have these discussions on how to name our child, and you go through those name books, you start with your family, you go through the name books, uh, but did you ever go through some names and you land on a name and one or the other said, I think that's a good name, and you go, no, I knew that guy, I don't like that guy. <laughs> I'm glad there's other shallow people in the room. So anyway, we'd skip that, or we'd put the initials together and we'd be like, no, don't do it, no. And then I would always say... I want you to visualize that child, our child, on the playground. Don't give them a name worthy of getting beat up. So we would run through that. Maybe some of you have had the same discussions. So here are some weird names. I can't believe parents did this to their kids, but I saw it on Netflix, so I know it's true. So here it is. Last name McDonald. What do you think she named her son? Ronald. Why? Okay. They did, and there's actually a lot of Ronald McDonald's out there. Uh, this one's actually kind of cool. His last name was Bond, so they named him. James. Now, that's a great name, James Bond. I'll give that one. Here's the worst one. Last name Burr, B-U-R-R. Named him Tim. Why would you do that to your kid? And the mom was still giddy about it. She goes, oh, I just love to yell outside, Tim, Burr. Oh, I just love that. I go, not him, not, not the kid. This is one of these names. You go through the Bible, and again, different time, different setting, but if, if this was the name today, I'd be like, I'd go with a different name. The name is Tabitha, but it's always followed by, in the Greek, it means Dorcas. Now, just got to get over Dorcas, okay? But I love Tabitha. I love what Tabitha stands for. I think of Tabitha, and I think of the spirit of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, say, here I am, Lord, send me. I love this quote by Stephen Sizer. There is one ability that tops the list. It's not sociability or compatibility or even accountability. The greatest ability is availability. And that's true. It doesn't matter how skilled you are. If you're not available, you can't do anything with those skills. It doesn't matter if you're so busy, you have no time for your neighbors. Uh, how can we be effective? We simply need to strive towards being available. I read about a conversation, and I want to share it with you because it, it convicted me. It comes out of the book called Small Things with Great Love 
by Margot Starbuck. And at this particular church, it reminded me of Sherwood Oaks, a large church, uh, the speaker who was one of their uh, urban missionaries uh, was bringing it. And he was bringing it about, are you connected to your neighbors? And he just shared, my neighbors live in the urban area, and it's a tough ministry, but it's so rewarding. So I want all of you to start loving your neighbors. Now, there was another guy named Chuck who was listening to that sermon and was uh, kind of bothered by it. And on the way home, talking to his wife, I know none of you do that on your way to church. You don't talk about what goes on in church. Yeah, I know. But anyway, uh, he's saying, that nice guy, I appreciate what he does in the urban ministry. He doesn't know my schedule. I work six days a week, and uh, the the day I'm off, I'm, I'm committed to my family, and now he wants me to come down and help him. No, I can't help him. I don't have time to do that. And then God started working on his heart. He got up the next morning, and uh, uh, he called the speaker. So Chuck calls Hugh, and he goes, hey, I was talking to my wife. I uh, love what you're doing. Uh, let me write you a check, uh, but I can't help you. There's no way I can help you. Man, I work six days a week. I drive one hour one way, one hour back, and I get one day off. I give it to my family, so you can't expect me to help. And classic answer. The guy said, oh, I, I'm just so sorry that you heard my message that way. He said, where do you work? And he told him where he worked. He said, so must be a good job. And he goes, yeah, I work really hard at it. He goes, do you have any custodians where you work? He goes, yeah, there's a, there's a lady there that works really hard. He goes, that's great. What's her name? He said, I have no idea. He goes, I guess you found your neighbor. Well, that hurt. A few months later, he called the missionary back. And he goes, thanks for ruining my life. And he said, well, what's happened? He goes, well, I found out the custodian's name. Her name's Regina. She's a single mom. This is her second job. She's doing everything she can to keep her family together. And then I got to meet her family. He goes, and? And we're having Christmas together. That's what happens when you realize who your neighbor is. It's not just the person who lives next to you in your home or your apartment or your dorm room. It's who has God put right in front of you every day? Who are your neighbors at work? Who are the people that God is putting you in a relationship all the time? Because God does it. He puts people in our path, and do we actually view them as neighbors? That's why, if you remember, I said we're going to have a challenge for the summer. So if you'll look on your chairs, you're going to see a little handout here. It's got these little squares in it. And we even got a pencil here for you. So you can do this through the message if you'd like. I had some folks come up and show me all their neighbors, so it's obvious during the sermon that's what they were doing. So here's, here's what I want you to do. Right in the middle is your home to the north, south, east, and west. This summer, can you identify your neighbors? And then just start praying for your neighbors. That's it. Let's just see what God does. So first of all, get to know who your neighbors are, their names, and then start praying for your neighbors. Now, i got to be honest, as I was going through this, I'm like, yeah, there's a neighbor that I don't know yet that lives close, and so I need to go over and, and get to know them. And sometimes it's as easy as just starting by getting to know the name of your neighbors. I love uh, this quote, and it's by Mother Teresa. I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who's sending a love letter to the world. You are God's love letter. So with that pencil, go to work.
see what God does. That's why this morning we're going to look at Tabitha, and we're going to celebrate her life. You only need to know really two things about her. It's clarified in Scripture. The first is simply this. Tabitha was a disciple of Christ. Look at verse 36, right at the first part. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. But notice again, there was a disciple named Tabitha, a learner, a follower of Christ. Some scholars actually believe that she did actually follow Jesus, that she was part of that large group that was following Jesus around, that she actually heard the words of Christ. We don't know that for sure, but we know that she was definitely sold out to Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting, a little background, that that town that we're talking about, that city, Joppa, uh, you've heard it in the Old Testament. That's Jonah talks about Joppa. Joppa is actually uh, an area where they took a lot of the materials for the temple that Solomon built. So it's a very historical town. But what we know about it now from the New Testament is this beautiful, beautiful woman who is sold out to Jesus Christ, a true disciple. There's a book called Bold Moves by Craig Etheridge, and I love his definition. It's a little lengthy of what a disciple is because there's action points throughout. And so I want you to listen. A true disciple is a person who is devoted to Jesus, is developing the character and the competencies of Jesus, and is deployed into the ministry of Jesus by reaching the lost and investing in a few. So let me break that down because I am of this devoted You are devoted to Jesus Christ. It's when you say, I am all in. Uh, When I share with folks about what's going on on the West Side, uh, I think about so many of you that have been baptized, so many of you have surrendered to that and what that means. And I always love when you sign your name and put your new birthday on the tank. It just does something to me every time. But you ever thought about that symbolism is when you're baptized, you're saying, I'm all in. When I go under, it's a It's a death, burial, and resurrection experience. And it's more than just baptism. It's when you come up out of that water and you say, I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. I want to be all in. I want to be devoted. And then developing. Are you developing and growing in Christ? Are you learning more about what Christ said and then putting that into motion? And then I love the word deployed. Are you willing to take the message of Christ beyond the church walls? Church is one thing, and church is important, but it's what you do outside the door that matters more. If you helped out this week in any way with the Backyard VBX, would you just stand up? Any of you that helped out with any of the Backyard VBXs that went on? the, the Okay, let's give all of them a huge hand. This... This is a perfect example of what we're talking about. It would be so easy just to set up a big program and drop a lot of money in it and say, come to us. But I love the fact that you've got all these folks coming together and saying, no, no, we're going to go to you. We're going to bring Jesus Christ to the backyards all over the area. That's a big deal. And that's what I love about what's going on here and all over. That's what we are called to be. Disciples of Christ willing to take his message out. But here's the other thing about Tabitha that I love. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Just look again at verse 36 through 42. It says, At Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, 
who was always doing good, helping the poor. And about that time, she became sick and she died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room, Lydda, which was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that, Peter was in Lydda, and they sent men and they urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and he arrived and was taken upstairs to a room. And this is where the story gets so tender and powerful. And the widow stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while, they, while she was still with him. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees. He prayed, turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. And he took her by the hand, and he helped her to his feet. And then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now let that sink in, what just happened. Here's this dear, amazing woman who is known for being a disciple of Jesus. And what's the second thing? She loved the poor. And what was she good at? Sewing. So she would sew these dresses. And they had 24 hours. Remember, that's the way with the, with the body rotting and all the things in the ceremonial. They had 24 hours. And so they knew, get to Peter. 10 miles away, have Peter come back, and we'll try anything. And Peter comes in, and what does he see? He sees these widows, and they can't wait to show Peter, I want you to see what she's done for us, because we were invisible. I mean, nobody cared about us. We're poor. Uh, nobody gave us the time of day, but she, she treated us with dignity, and we love her so much for what she has done. That's a disciple of Christ. And he was so moved, and he sent him out. And can you imagine that scene as she comes back out, and she's alive? I mean, this friend who has done so much for them is alive. We need to understand the heartbeat of God for the poor. Over 300 scriptures about justice and reaching out to the poor. There's a book that I, I want to recommend, and it's called Whole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns. And... Um, it's one of those books, it's extremely convicting, and uh, as I was going through it, I'd forgot, uh, with his organization, uh, they did a huge survey of ministers, and they gave like six or seven things that take ministers' time, and they said, we want you to anonymously choose what keeps you up at night. What's the number one thing you stress about the most? So some of the things were evangelism, developing discipleship. Uh, children's programming, helping the needy, the Sunday morning AM worship service. Anybody want to guess what was number one by far? The Sunday morning worship service, 79%. And I read that, I'm like, boy, I'm glad I'm not a pagan. Man, I'm glad I'm not lying that way. And then God started working my heart. Man, you worry an awful lot about what happens on Sunday morning. Now, I don't mean just the message. I mean, that would make me sound so righteous, wouldn't it? I worry so much about, no, it's all the other bells and whistles. Like, I hope this doesn't, what if it rains? What if it, okay, things that are actually out of my control. Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, wait a second. When I read the word of God, I don't think that's consistent with God's word, is that we worry so much about one hour or two hours on a Sunday. Now, is it important that we come to church? Absolutely. We need each other. We need community. 
what the church really takes off when the church says, Lord, take whatever I got, whatever ability I have, whatever skill I have, and let me reach out to those less fortunate than me. Lord, let me look around and see my neighbors and see who actually needs help, and let me make time for them. See, that's actually being and doing what Christ has called us to do. Richard Stern said this, faith and works should be seen not as two opposing ideas, but as two manifestations of the same idea. A tree and its fruit are not different ideas in conflict with each other. Rather, one is a natural product of the other. The tree is recognized by its fruit, and the fruit is produced inevitably by the tree. So he said, every Christian goes through this faith and works. Do you need faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. But it's more than just saying, I have faith in Jesus. It's putting that faith in the motion. But if you only do works and you're not devoted to Jesus Christ, you're just serving out of guilt, the scripture is clear. That's not the way we serve. We serve because we're motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. So let me give you something practical that uh, Doug and Alan Phillips is our pastor minister or on the east side. Uh, and I, I love this idea. For the next two months, uh, I'm going to tell you where the money's going, but we're going to keep this going. And it's just this, it's called change, be the change, or change to change the world. And this is going to be set up where you can see it each Sunday, and you can just throw change in there of, of any kind. And then for two months, we're going to take all that change, and then we're going to get backpacks uh, for kids that we know need help. We've got two schools literally in our backyard. How can we help them? And here's what I love about this. It's not age-specific in any way. I can just see the kids in our children's church and the little ones in the back, and uh, we may even pill for the little babies if they got change in their thing. I don't care, but the key is we want everybody pulling together and saying change can actually bring about change, that we can all work together, and we need to find ways to start looking out and praying for those who are less fortunate than us. I want to close with this, and her name is Clara Barton, and maybe some of you have heard that name before, but it's just, it's a remarkable story. Uh, she had, uh, Clara, this is back in the mid-1800s, actually got a teaching degree, started when she's 15, finished it when she's 18, and then at 18, started a school for kids that couldn't afford to go to school, free of charge. And, and she thought that would be her mission for the rest of her life. But two life events changed her life. And actually, it did change almost everybody's life in the United States. The first was, and all of us have dealt with this, is losing somebody close to us that we love so much. And she lost her mom, or excuse me, her dad. And then right at the same time was the Civil War. And she realized something that she couldn't believe. Do you know... When the Civil War started, women were not even allowed to get near the front lines after a battle. And she went through all the red tape because she said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. We need to mobilize men and women, and they all need to start working together. They need to be there after every major battle. And she actually got that passed. And then she started to mobilize hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that would go to these battlefields as soon as they were over. And so she was helping bring healing. She was actually called the angel of the battlefield. So after the war cleared, I mean, everybody was talking about 
what this amazing woman had done to mobilize so many people to serve the wounded. And she became the first uh, CEO or president or leader of this little bitty group called the Red Cross. Maybe you've heard of them. And that all came out of a teacher who said, I look around and I see a war and somebody needs blood on their hands. Somebody needs to do something. And instead of waiting for somebody else, she decided, I can do that. And I don't know what God is doing in your heart, but maybe God is stirring something in some of you. And you've been waiting. Like, I've been waiting. Well, you have permission to do something with that. To say, Lord, you've laid this burden on my heart. I don't know how I can make it happen, but open the door, and Lord, I am willing to do something with it. I don't know where you're at this morning. Some of you may be so broken, you need somebody to reach out to you, but some of you may be in a position that you just sense, man, God is calling me, just like he called Tabitha, to reach out to those to be the disciple of Jesus by reaching those less fortunate than us. Let God move through you.